All right, folks, you have made it all the way to the final episode of the Mania of WrestleMania. All 20 WrestleManias wrapped up tonight. Yes. Yes. I am your host, the Mandated Reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Rattledge, and I am joined by the one about Goldberg. Pat Mullen, how do you do, sir? Good evening, everybody. Thank you guys for lasting through 20 episodes of this. For those of you that did make it through, uh, those of you that didn't, I completely understand um, (laughs) (laughs) because some of these were hard to get through, uh, particularly for us having to actually watch the events. So give yourselves a rousing round of applause there. And we we appreciate the support. Thank you, guys. If you're even a little bit entertained by this at some point, that's all we wanted to do. We started this a year ago, a a year ago to the month. uh, We started at WrestleMania 37 week. We started with WrestleMania 1, uh, we did 2, then we did 3, then 4 and 5 were one show, and that's when we started doubling up, and 6 and 7, then 8 and 9, 10 got its own show, and then we started tripling up, and we were doing like 8-hour <laughs> shows, it was like 11, 11 12, and 13, then we did, and then Stuart, Stuart and I did 14, 15, 16, 17 got its own show because we hadn't really talked about WCW, and we needed yeah. to, and that took an hour. Um, and so there was only time for just one show plus 20, 2017, um, WrestleMania 17 was pretty monumental. Yeah. And then Neil from, um, Neil Blackwood from uh, movies, movies that don't, that suck, don't and suck. suck and some that do, uh, he came on for 18 and 19. Um, and then here we are, we're finally at 20 and we're going to, you know, we're going to go through as we've done with previous shows, the year that was from backlash 2003 to WrestleMania 20. And, um, this, this is the. Brock Lesnar has just won the title at WrestleMania 19, re-won it again. This is now the second run. And uh, we're going to build toward, you know, they were really trying to get Brock to be the new Hulk Hogan, and he wanted to be a Minnesota Viking. So, <laughs> and then we bring, we bring in Goldberg, which we'll talk about shortly. Um, and, they, you know, they were like, okay, we have a big star here. We have two big stars. We had the new Hogan in Savage. And then he wanted to go be a Minnesota Viking so, <laughs> or something. Um, but this is also kind of the, the workers WrestleMania, right? You know, Eddie and Eddie and Stevie Richards at the end, you know, holding their belt high. (laughs) So it's the story of two different WrestleManias in one, but let's get there before we do though, Pat, you got to do, you, you, you missed out on 18 and 19. Just give me a quick word on those two WrestleManias. Uh, 18 and 19 are kind of the the shift a little bit in terms of what they're looking at in their personalities mm-hmm. and what they have. Um, there becomes more of an emphasis, and a lot of this is due to what Paul Heyman was achieving with the SmackDown brand. Um, there's a lot more emphasis on what the guys can do in the ring as opposed to the personalities outside of it, though that still is a big part of the show. Mm-hmm. And overall, I think it made for at least uh, WrestleMania 19 for sure, and partially at 18, I think it made for more entertaining shows in terms of what you actually got in the matches versus long-term storytelling with great contextualization and everything, but maybe not the best in-ring product that followed it. 18 and 19, this is the only comment I'm going to make on it. Um, you can hear my full slate of comments with uh, with Neil, but 18 and 19 are the two WrestleManias, the two years where you're, where you're really integrating the top tier of talent. I mean, 18, 19, 20, you really do have the cream of the crop, the really top uh, wrestling superstars that are out there. Um, Over the course of the three years, 18, 19, 20, contracts are coming to an end. 
Uh, so people are people who didn't come over during the invasion, and we talked at great length about that, are now yeah. starting to come in. The NWO, Ric Flair, um, everybody but Sting, basically. Pretty uh, much. Yeah. And then so and then once they got over the invasion hump and you know, making sure that they not only bought WCW but humiliated them in every way possible. Yeah. Now we can now we're finally over ourselves and we can be one big happy company again. And the 18, 19, and 20 years are the happy company years kind of culminating, uh, and, we, and we joked about this, you know, culminating in Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero, your workers' champions, standing tall at the top of the show. At the, the, at the death you know, of the business. The We're going to get there. So let's get there. <laughs> All right. Uh, so WrestleMania 19 ends. Brock Lesnar, broken neck and all, beat Kurt Angle. If, uh, if only not for that shooting star press, it'd probably be one of my top three WrestleManias of all ma WrestleMania matches of all time. Yeah, it's really, really good. Um, and then on the other side of that, you have uh, Triple H beating those people, Booker T. <laughs> um, Less so said about that, the better. Over the course of a few months, we have two uh, people that come into the business, come into WWE. One is Scott Steiner, who had been feuding with Triple H before WrestleMania 19. Uh, but and and that I think they were supposed to have a match at WrestleMania 19, but what happened got, to Scotty? We got those two matches beforehand at the Royal Rumble and No Way Out, which were just mm -hmm. terrible, terrible matches, terrible reviews on them. And in all fairness to Scotty, Scotty came in with a condition called drop foot, which mm -hmm. is very, very difficult to try to work a wrestling match with. And the thought process that for whatever reason the office still had, hmm, I wonder, was that Triple H was great and he could work with anybody and have a match with anybody. When, whereas you and I talked about when he came back after his torn quadriceps, after he was arguably the most consistent big match guy from 99 to 2001 in that company, he came back in a bodybuilding phase and right. had lost a lot of the spring in his step and his ability to really work and do well. And he was just so big and bloated and filled with muscle that he lost a lot of mobility. So you have two immobile guys going in there trying to have a wrestling match for 20 minutes and it stunk because all they could essentially do was Scotty could hit a belly to belly mm -hmm. and triple H could, you know, cheat. And that was the match <laughs> two times in a row as if right. a month later it was going to get any better. Yeah. So the Scotty uh, Steiner, as much as we wanted to see big Papa pump yeah. come into the WWE, I think that had, they, they got him too late. Like his sell by date was well before that. The, the physic, the physicality that he had in 2000 when he was really mm -hmm. on the top of his game as maybe the best heel in wrestling at that point, yeah. other than maybe Triple H, um, it was gone because drop foot is a, a drop foot. If you don't know anybody who's had it, completely destroys your mobility. You can't mm -hmm. move, you can't pivot, you can't do a lot of things you need to be able to function to do to have a wrestling match, at least an entertaining one. Right. And it's kind of funny that. If you had, if you if you had followed anything outside of WWE, which there wasn't a lot, there was a promotion called World Wrestling All Stars out of Australia, run by Andrew McManus. A lot of their talent was ex WCW and WWE guys who hadn't been signed before they went to TNA. Scotty was there and working main events there against you know guys like Nathan Jones, and uh, you could see that Scotty just did not look good. And right. the idea that <laughs> WWE didn't see this and just signed him anyway and immediately threw him into that mix was not well thought out. No, I, I I feel like sometimes WWE, you know, just you know, to quote the critical drinker, nah, it'll be fine, you know, and and they don't think about these things, and then and then they want to blame the wrestler for doing exactly what was going and to only, happen. Blame only one guy in, in those matches, mind you. 
<laughs> yes, right, because Triple H is perfect, and he's so pretty. He's so very pretty. Um, the other entry into the WWE is Goldberg, and he's going to start off a feud with The Rock. And the thing that made you know the thing that made Goldberg effective in WCW was the short matches, you know, the streak, and even when he had the title and they weren't doing the streak so much anymore, he still like his matches with with Kurt Henning and some of these other guys were not long matches. No, he, you know, he did about ten minutes at best. And they really, they really protected him. And then the WWE was like, nah, it'll be fine. <laughs> and, and put him in like 20-minute main events where he's expected to wrestle like Bret Hart. Yeah, it, Bill is another guy who had a couple of matches outside of WWE before he came mm -hmm. back in Japan mostly, mm -hmm. uh, where he teamed up with Muda against Chronic, and he, he wrestled Teokia. Um, but they were kept short and they were kept right. short for a reason because they understood that this was a guy who never got the ability to be a fully formed professional wrestler right. because of what they intended to do with him in WCW and how they used him. And not only and, that, like they created a lot of mystique with Goldberg and the WWE seemingly went out of their way to demystify him to the point where I'm not surprised he wanted to leave, but, but even if he had wanted to stay – you know, if he had wanted to stay past WrestleMania 20, who would have cared? Yeah, I, and it's it's crazy how they were able to rectify that when they were able to get him back in 2016. Right. You know, sure. 13 years after the fact, they understood how to book him right. versus what they did the first time. And again, you know, hindsight's 2020 and all that, but at the same time, it just seemed like another exercise to try to make WCW look bad at the end of the day because we're still yep. not over that at this point in time. Yeah, yeah. This is what I mean. I, I talked about this with Neil about WWE's habit of throwing tantrums, you know, and I and when they get an opportunity, they never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity to, you know, to ruin people. It's really frustrating to watch. Like, like as much as I'm a fan of, of wrestling and of WWE, there are times where I'm like, oh, God, I hate this company. <laughs> And it's because of stuff like that. Like, this isn't that hard. The invasion wasn't that hard. How do you screw up, like, a, a license to print money like that? So, again, Scott Steiner, the invasion, Goldberg. I mean, Ric Flair's probably a, a halfway decent success story. But also, Ric Flair was willing to do anything, and he had people in the company looking out for him. He, you know, he was fortunate in that he was idolized by two of the top political movers in that company, right. Triple H and Shawn Michaels. And he was willing to work as their gopher, essentially, at that point in time, carrying their bags <laughs> right. around and doing stuff like that to, you know, kind of demean himself and, yeah. and outside of it. But because of that, he was able to kind of get a coattail ride and get a secondary kind of run and love. But so at Backlash, Goldberg defeats The Rock, hooray. Triple H, Ric Flair and Chris Jericho defeat Shawn Michaels, Kevin Nash and Booker T. And Brock Lesnar defeats ruthless aggression John Cena. All right, moving on. Uh, that takes us to Judgment Day, which is May 18th, uh, 2003. And this is headlined by Brock Lesnar defeating the Big Show in a stretcher match. Yep. Uh, Kevin Nash gets his shot uh, now leading the NWO. No, uh, the, the, he, no. This, this, is, this is a year later when they're not doing the NWO anymore. Right. This is back. just Nash is just Big Daddy Cool himself, right. but not Diesel. He's Kevin Nash. Right. So he gets a he gets a main event with his buddy because we're going right we're going all the way back to 1995. Um, we're the same four guys just wrestle each other constantly because they didn't get to do it then. Now they can. <laughs> um, so Kevin Nash defeats uh, Triple H by DQ, and then uh, Hulk Hogan now playing Mister America. Can we just talk for a minute about the Zach Gowan era? Holy cow! <laughs> I I mean. 
listen, it was it was a great story that this mm-hmm. guy who did nothing but love wrestling and, and wanted to be a part of it so much. And, you know, they get to involve him because of the story of him losing his leg at a young age to uh, I forget what, what type of bone cancer he had, essentially. But it was bone cancer of a certain kind that forced the amputation of his leg. And so he became a one-legged professional wrestler. He was wrestling as Tenacious mm-hmm. Z on the independent team. He had wrestled on like two or three TNA shows prior to coming into WWE. But they did it where he was in tag team matches so he could be protected and understood. And he comes in as this, you know, big Mr. America fan, you know, et cetera. And he's kind of Hulk Hogan's mascot in a certain respect as Mr. America. And they kind of don't protect him in any meaningful way, you know. <laughs> and again, like there's – you know, we had Nick Newell in MMA, I believe was his name, who was the mm-hmm. um, one-armed uh, fighter because yeah. um, he had a similar situation where he was able to fight and achieve at a certain level. But you know that it's, it's not really feasible for him to beat the elite guys with one arm. It's just not a right. fair fight at that point. Right. Um, same thing for Zach Gowan. And no matter how much you can suspend your disbelief, the idea of a guy on one leg, you know, in a wrestling confine, well, why are they not going to just attack his leg every time and then he can't stand up? It's, right. you know. It's that kind of thing. And and they did, you know, try to make a, a thing of it. And but, he, you know, he has his first real match with Vince and, uh, you know, it, it goes awry from there. And yeah, nice uh, guy um, had some problems and overcame him. Um, I heard he's doing well now. So good. So Hulk Hogan, meanwhile, um, he has his match. Uh, with the Rock at 18, he has his match with Vince McMahon at 19, and that feud goes a few months longer to where I think he loses a match where he can't be Hulk Hogan anymore. So now he's Mr. America, and the, and I and I didn't watch SmackDown a lot, but I did enjoy that story for the for the sheer chutzpah of it. I, I love the just in your face insulting nature of it. <laughs> I am not Mr. America, brother. Right, right. Like well, I talked to like, all my American maniacs. <laughs> his fucking goatee is coming out of his mask, for God's sake. Oh, it was fantastic. It was, it was, you know, and this is an angle that's been rerun God knows how many times. Started as mm-hmm. the Dirty Yellow Dog in Florida, you know, with right. Barry Windham and Dusty Rhodes and Magnum TA were the James Boys and, you know, mm. all these very evident, you know, under a mask guys. But right. his, there's not a more identifiable promo voice or mustache <laughs> than Hulk. And to see him doing this every week and making Vince look dumb. But was even fantastic. his body, I mean, you know, I know if you like if you ever watch like bodybuilding contests, a lot of these guys have very similar shapes. I always thought Hogan had a very unique body shape. You know, he he had a very thick torso. Uh he was a big he was a big tall guy to begin with. He was always very proportioned. He had a if you covered up his face, like if you put him, the warrior, Rick Rude, and Randy Savage you know, in a line, you could absolutely tell who's who. Yeah. Based on their musculature. And so that was the other thing. It was like, that's very clearly Hulk Hogan. Even if you can't see his face, you know what his body looks like. Aside from just using the big boot and the leg drop to finish the guys. <laughs> right. Because if you didn't but get it. <laughs> Mr. America achieved something that Hulk Hogan never did. He got a clean pinfall over Roddy Piper. <laughs> so... That takes us to Bad Bad Blood 2003, which took place on and June 15th. Go ahead. Bad Blood is the first ever brand exclusive pay-per-view when they really tried to treat SmackDown and Raw as separate entities where each month the brand traded off the pay-per-view. So Bad right. Blood in June of 2003 was a Raw exclusive show where it was only Raw talent. <laughs> uh, so we have here June 15th, 2003 in Houston, Texas at the Compact Center. Uh, Triple H defeats Kevin Nash. In a hell on a cell with Mick Foley as a special special guest referee. I thought this was earlier on in the year, but uh, I vaguely remember this now. Steve Austin versus Eric Bischoff in a redneck triathlon. Yeah. Which is always fun. 
<laughs> uh, we have Ric Flair versus Shawn Michaels, Goldberg, Jericho, and you know uh, Scott Steiner still hanging around. Poor bastard. Uh, nothing of real, of real note here. Like I said, this is this is Reign of Terror. Triple H. This and is this is really where if you were watching shows at the time, depending on what kind of fan you were, this really was like the dividing line time of what your preference was. Yeah. Where like for me, I detested Raw with very few exceptions. There were a couple mm-hmm. guys on Raw I really enjoyed watching. You know, your Chris Jericho's, your Christians, your RVDs. Uh, Booker mm-hmm. T was on Raw at the time. But then you had on the opposite side, you had the SmackDown 6 era. You had Brock Lesnar. You had the Cruiserweights. You yeah. had Mr. America and Roddy Piper, you know, doing their <laughs> thing, um, which was a lot more fun than it had any right to be in 2003. <laughs> SmackDown was such a well-crafted and molded show at that point versus Raw, which was Triple H's Reign of Terror in the main event. Yeah. Mid-card guys getting 50-50 booking no matter how good they were. It was really not fun to watch. I remember at the time I was watching Raw more than I was watching SmackDown because I either was working or was going out on Friday, so I didn't watch SmackDown. But Monday night was Monday night was still Monday night. So when my friends got together to watch wrestling, and I, I might have been in and out during this period a lot. There might have been periods where I just wasn't watching as much. But when I did watch, I always watched Raw because that was like Sunday church. And I remember, and I and I and I was there for a lot of the Reign of Terror, where it was just like, who else can we dig up from wrestling's history for Triple H to beat? It was an ugly period. Yeah, I, and again, I I think he, you know, now that Triple H is retired officially, left his boots in the mm-hmm. ring in WrestleMania. There's two. There's two very distinct sides to the guy. There's the guy who has run NXT and developed so much talent and worked hard to create a future for professional wrestling. Mm-hmm. And then there's this guy who, from 2002 right. to you know 2006, essentially, just we all just hated immensely yeah. because he just held back and held down so much talent. It was just, it was it was almost as if like he still hadn't gotten over the curtain call. Like I'm still mad about I'm still mad about the hog pen matches that occurred before that. Um, I'm, you know, I'm still mad that I didn't win King of the Ring in 1996. I'm still mad that I'm not as big a star as Steve Austin or The Rock. I'm, yeah. you know. I'm, so I'm going to, I'm going to crush everyone you like. I'm going to beat and beat like e- easily, you know. And, 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 and this is part of a conscious effort by mm-hmm. Paul Heyman to keep Brock Lesnar away from Triple H and keep him right. on a different show because he didn't want Brock's momentum cut out from under him by being fed to Triple H. And you know he would have. If like if 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 Paul Heyman well, wasn't there. Go ahead. That was the plan for the WrestleMania to follow this one. Mm-hmm. They wanted to have Triple H versus Brock Lesnar as the main event for WrestleMania 21. Okay. Uh, and well he went to go be a Minnesota Viking, so <laughs> worked out better for him in the long run. It indeed. Uh that takes us to Vengeance, July 27th, 2003. This and that's a SmackDown exclusive show, the first SmackDown exclusive pay-per-view. So in the Brock Lesnar-Big Show feud, uh, Kurt Angles re-enters the fray, and there's a triple threat there, and Kurt Angle ends up winning back the title. Um, you have we, we talked about this before. You have Mr. McMahon <laughs> wrestling Zach Gowan, which I'm sure was hilarious. The Undertaker defeats John Cena. This is the John Cena. This is ruthless aggression John Cena. I don't think we have we've quite gotten to hip hoppy John Cena. No, he he's he's started the rap gimmick. The uh, first, as he, okay. Yeah, the first pay per view iteration of that is him and Brock. Um, okay. They made evented the month before, you know, that and everything. And uh, okay. Yeah, but he's 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 finding his way as the Doctor of Thugonomics. Okay, because I because shortly before that he I think he's talked about this period where he was just wacky roller guy. Yeah, and 
he almost like he thought he was going to get fired at one point because he, he wasn't getting over. He wasn't able to like really find his groove at all. There was nothing that was making him stand out. And there's a lot of guys like that on the roster. I'm like, look at some of the guys from the spirit squad, you know, like they were all like good athletes. They were, you know, they, they, they all, they all got pushed when that, when they finally got rid of the spirit squad, they were all receiving pushes to one degree or another, but a lot of them couldn't separate themselves from the pack. You know, even even you know Kenny was thought yeah. of as the, the star of that, or, or was oh God. supposed to be. Because look what happened to him. You know, it just crushed all of his momentum. Yeah, Johnny Jeter, who was a real good talent before they all got called up, he was Johnny in the Spirit Squad. Mm-hmm. Uh, never got any momentum again after that. Mikey right. they liked, but never went anywhere. The only guy who ever ended up going anywhere, and mm-hmm. it took him a long time to get out of that, was Dolph Ziggler. Right, and look at like. To a lesser extent, though, look at the guys like the natural born thrillers. Every single one of them was a body. Every single one of them could have, you know, could have been a superstar. Chuck Palumbo is in Billion Chuck. You have the one idiot who's Sean O'Hare, a, man. What a missed yeah. opportunity. Mark yeah, Jindrak was slated to be in evolution, but mm-hmm. he annoyed Triple H. So adios, Mark Jindrak, and in comes Batista. And <laughs> right. And the rest is history. Was yeah. Shadow Hair the one that was just like who had the really weirdo catchphrase? Like you know, he was the, where he was the hey, devil. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. Right. And he you was know, Roddy Piper's apprentice for a little while, which was awesome. Right. It's just like, again another group of guys where it's just like every single one of these guys should have been a superstar. They should have flooded the roster with talent. And I can somehow- understand why Sean Stasiak never did. <laughs> why you didn't like the meat gimmick? Because I always thought that was hilarious. No. Meat was his best gimmick by far. Okay. That's the problem. Gotcha. I, 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 I'm running the WWE. That that meat becomes world champion at some point. <laughs> Just covered in broads. Absolutely. Um, moving on to SummerSlam 2003, which takes place in Phoenix, Arizona, on August 24th. Which, because it's one of the big four, is a co-promotion between Raw and SmackDown. So here we have an elimination chamber. I think this is now the second one, right? Uh, this may have been the second one in history. Yes. Okay. So Ric Flair, uh, defeats Goldberg, Jericho, Shawn Michaels, Randy yep. Orton, Kevin Nash, Tri- Hulk Triple Hogan. H. What I said? Tri- Triple H defeats them. That's what I said. You said Ric Flair. <laughs> oh, sorry. Triple sorry, I'm tired. Triple H defeats <laughs> Goldberg, Chris Jericho, Shawn Michaels, Randy Orton, Kevin Nash, Booker T, Paul Heyman, Tommy Dreamer, uh, Randy, Randy Savage, Hulk Hogan, <laughs> George Hackenschmidt, just everybody. <laughs> Um, also, we have Kurt Angle defeating Brock Lesnar in a singles match for the title. Um, just because they're going to become important a little bit later on after this. Eddie Guerrero, uh, who's the United States champion, defeats Chris Benoit, Rhino, and Tajiri. Uh, we have a Shane McMahon, Eric Bischoff match, which is a lot of fun. With and the then- heel turn of the century, Jonathan Coachman. Uh, which then brings us to Unforgiven, and I dub the Unforgiven. Uh, September 21st, 1st, 2003. Uh, this is headlined by Goldberg. Finally, 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 Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey, defeating Triple H in a title versus career match. Uh, so Goldberg finally, <laughs> finally gets his comeuppance against Triple H. Uh, not a whole lot else on here of note, though I'm sure the Randy Orton Shawn Michaels match is just done. Was there was there a triple threat ladder match for the Intercontinental title on that one, or is that the following year? It's just a triple threat. It's not a ladder match. Is it is it Christian RVD and Jericho? Yes, that was a, that was a good one. I remember those guys having some real bangers at the time. Which again, they weren't getting any upward momentum. So my mm-hmm. way to enjoy Raw was to see those guys just go out and perform. 
And hey, because 50-50 booking, Tess defeats Scott Steiner, who's st still hobbling along in this company. Poor bastard. Uh, that brings us to No Mercy, the SmackDown pay-per-view, October 19th, 2003, from the land of the wire, Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, here we have Brock Lesnar, who is champion, in a Biker Jane match with The Undertaker. Do you remember this at all? I do. It was it was that was the first big Brock Undertaker match. And uh, they the, the, the way to even it out and settle the score was to have the chain. So Taker had something on Brock because he was a biker and bikers have chains and stuff. I, <laughs> it's good. Good logic. Fuck the Undertaker. He sucked, man. Um, there's been a request that we do a podcast where you explain at length your hatred for the Undertaker. Oh, I'm in. If we can get Jed, too, that's even better. If you work on getting Jed and I'll set up the studio. All right. Okay? Where I will I will do an hour's recording in vascular detail explaining what the Undertaker sucks. Yes, sponsored by White Claw, everybody. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, speaking of which, Big Show defeats Eddie Guerrero for the U.S. Championship. Uh, Kurt Angle defeats John Cena. <laughs> Mr. McMahon with Sable defeats Stephanie McMahon with Linda. <laughs> Jesus, Mary and Joseph. Or as Vince calls it, foreplay. Yes. Because um, he walked around the ring with a chubber for like half of it. He's, oh, he's gross. Guy. That's his daughter. Yeah. And that brings us to the Survivor Series 2003. This is a rough show in history. Good Lord. I watched this with friends, and I still have scars from it. All right. Uh, in a singles match, Goldberg, who is your champion, defeats Triple H. Oh, my Lord. Big Slim Dog. Um, Mc Mr. McMahon defeats The Undertaker in a Buried Alive match, because, of course, he does. Oof. Um, not a whole lot Not the last here. McMahon appearance of the night, either. No, um, I'm not reading all of these five on five. Survivor Kane versus matches. Shane, everybody, because we all wanted that. Yes. Uh, yes, Kane versus Shane in an ambulance match. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I need an ambulance right now just thinking about this. Yeah, okay. This is I this is such a forgettable show. I actually don't remember anything about it. Like I can't like there's no like story to tell here or like, oh well, this informs the main event of WrestleMania. Nope, nothing. <laughs> this is a forgotten show. I'm getting out of here. 2003 in Orlando, Florida. <clears throat> Triple H, Jesus, Mary and Joseph defeats Goldberg and Kane. Oh boy. Uh Evolution defeats the Dudley Boys. Shawn Michaels defeats Batista. Um and that is about it. Uh, note on that show. Which brings us to the final run into uh we are on the road to WrestleMania 20 here, the Royal Rumble 2004. You know, it's funny, Pat. The last couple of times that we've done this, we've had to, uh, you know, really tell the story of how we got to a particular, a particular WrestleMania, and <clears throat> it's funny. There is a there is a story to tell on how we get to WrestleMania 17, on top of all the stuff going on in WCW. And as I'm going through this, like other than just sort of documenting the reign of terror. And the, the story going, the story behind the scenes is more interesting. Goldberg, despite the fact that he's in this year-long feud with Triple H, is dissatisfied with his time in the company. Brock Lesnar, despite his year-long reign at the top, where he's, you know, just wrestling Kurt Angle and the Big Show and The Undertaker, is dissatisfied with his position in the company and wants to leave. And it's like, clearly they had a vision for what WrestleMania 20 was going to be. And... And in a turn of events, very unlike what happens in the WWE, the, the tables get turned and like their two biggest stars are like, fuck this, I'm out of here. And you don't even, and the thing of it is, is I bring that up because, yeah, Eddie Guerrero, low key, having some of the best matches in SmackDown. 
Chris and Benoit. Same for Stevie Richards. Yeah, and so the same for Stevie Richards. Uh, he's he's having you know low key some of the best matches. Um, also, and so this, and I, I think that's that's the one thing that we didn't contextualize while going through the pay per view timeline mm-hmm. is that a lot of what was being built with those guys was not necessarily being built on the pay per view cards, right? So much as it was the television at the time, which again, Paul Heyman is largely responsible for. You read my mind, and that's what I wanted to address. It's this is a very weird WrestleMania to build up to because. As we've shown in the past, they they the big marking points were on the pay-per-views. And as yeah. you just said, a lot of what's going to become the story of WrestleMania 20 isn't on the pay-per-views from the entire year prior. No, if you go back to those SmackDown shows, you have mm-hmm. uh, a very uh, highly thought of TV match for the World Heavyweight Championship. I believe it was in uh, late November, early December between Brock and Benoit. Mm-hmm. Um, that really established the idea that Chris Benoit could could be a main event player based on how those two work together in that match. Um, Eddie, for example, having his U.S. title run, he's having these matches and stuff with the Big Show. And Big Show, again, he, he's a great performer for the ability to make people believe that there's a chance people can hurt him when he's seven feet tall and 500 pounds. That takes a special ability to do that. When you're around as long as he has been at this point, constant heel face turns, very easy to lose interest in a guy, especially at points in time where they're having him do three-minute losses to Jeff Hardy on TV when he was a monster. Right. Eddie kind of revitalized him a little bit and brought some new life out of him, and he's having a very good series of matches despite the David and Goliath nature with these two. So you have those two guys kind of on the come up, as they have been really for the past year in terms of they're getting more TV face time. The company's not necessarily going to see them in the light that Paul Heyman does, so he does what he can with the television to maximize their potential because he knows they're not going to get that shot on pay-per-view unless he really builds them. But that's that's the fun thing about this, and then I'll move on as I want because I want to make this point really, really clear. When the WWE invests so much in Goldberg and so much in Brock Lesnar, for them to then turn around and leave, but then you have these stalwart guys. I mean, Eddie and Chris come in at the same time as the Radicals four years before this uh just just yeah uh, january of 2000 and they've been consistent i mean my, minus injuries that might have taken them off tv they've been consistent good you never hear a bad story about benoit and eddie in the locker room well eh, well eddie had did get released for substance abuse but earned, earned his way thing. back and has been back for two years at this point right. with everybody saying what a great jam up guy he is, et cetera. He's not in the locker room saying, I'm not going to put you over. You know, he's yeah. not, he's not a troublemaker. You know, he's just, he's having troubles with substances, you know, this and that time, but he's not necessarily not performing well in the ring. No. Like that was the one thing about Eddie is that he could be messed up, but then he'd get out there and you'd never know it. Yeah. And that's, a th- and that's the thing is WrestleMania 20 is almost like a tacit recognition of, hey, maybe the guys that make up our mid card are worth protecting and valuing and not shitting on every single time we have an opportunity to. There's that aspect of it. And there's long been fan speculation that the result of one of the two world title matches is a uh, very thinly veiled apology to a very disgruntled former employee named Bret Hart. <laughs> so Royal Rumble 2004 in Philadelphia. Pennsylvania. Uh, we have Eddie Guerrero who wins the Royal Rumble. No, uh, no. no, Stevie Richards wins the Royal Rumble going coast to oh, coast. That's, that's right. Okay, I'm reading the chart wrong. Uh, what the hell am I looking at? Oh, the SmackDown Royal Rumble. Eddie, Eddie uh, would win a Royal Rumble on SmackDown of the right. SmackDown participants okay. who were in the Royal Rumble to get a shot at No Way Out for their world championship. 
So, right, Stevie Richards, Stevie Richards enters at number one. He goes coast to coast, and he finally he last eliminates he has six big eliminations, yeah, and he eliminates the big show. Uh, meanwhile, back in the city, Triple H uh, defeats Shawn Michaels. No, Triple H and, and Shawn Michaels end in a draw in a last man standing match. Because sure. Uh, Brock Lesnar defeats Hardcore Holly. <laughs> Can we talk about Brock Hardcore Holly for just a minute? I was hoping <laughs> we would. Okay, Pat, set the set up. Why are Hardcore Holly and Brock having a fight? Brock Brock broke Holly's neck, mm. and Holly's been there for goddamn ten years at this point, and has never had a main event. So here's right. your opportunity. Remember, to Brock. Damage. Remember, Bob Holly's a new generation guy. He has Sparky Plug. Bob Holly. Sparky Plug has been there for the requisite ten years. Where at a certain point, it's like, ah, well, we got to give him a main event match at some point. It's not drawing the show. The Royal Rumble matches which drawing the show. He's back. There's a built-in storyline. Here you go. Right. So he starts using the full Nelson and trying to break next. And then, of course, he wrestles Brock, and he loses in six minutes, as he should. <laughs> Thanks for coming, Bob. I, I, I think I remember reading somewhere, like, those two shoot, like, went at it. <laughs> like, like I, I feel like in Brock's book, he talked about that. Okay. And now I remember where I'm reading this from. I, I remember him saying, like, he had a real issue with Bob, and, like, Bob had an attitude. And it was, you know, and Bob was like, you broke my neck, you doofus. But and, and I and so I feel I I remember part of what makes Brock Lesnar want to leave the WWE by his own admission is having to wrestle perennial mid carder Sparky Plug Bob Holly. I mean, you wouldn't you? I, I get it. Um, hardcore schmodcore. Uh, Eddie Guerrero defeats Chavo Guerrero, and that's all that's really important here on the Royal Rumble. And here we go to No Way Out, and this is a monumental show. Like one show before WrestleMania, and we finally get one that really sets up things and tells the tale. Eddie Guerrero defeats Brock Lesnar for the WWE Championship. Tell me about it, Pat. What a match. Um, in a very uh, heavy Latino community in San Francisco at the Cow Palace, one of the great historic wrestling venues of all time, where Pepper Gomez was a huge star for years of Latin descent. Um, you know, this was, again, Eddie kind of a big moment where – Brock had kind of already given the indication that backstage at this point, I'm, I'm leaving after WrestleMania. Goldberg had that same point in time said, my contract's up at WrestleMania. I'm not sticking around. So now they have to pivot because they don't have this main event that they thought they would. What can we do? They take arguably the most over guy on their show in Eddie and in a very heavily Latino community and demographic where he's gotten over consistently with the audiences week to week. They're going to build a story around him. And the way they do it is he's been recognized for having these great matches all the time. The audience is vibing with him. His lie cheat steel character is really getting over and becoming such a hit with everybody. They have him break off from Los Guerreros, the tag team he had with Chavo, with Chavo turning on him to really get the crowd sympathetic towards Eddie and behind him. And then they build to this thing where Brock's just not taking him seriously. He has a mariachi band and talks about Eddie being a loser. Yes. Dancing Brock. Dancing Brock. They're initially <laughs> bringing up the substance abuse factor. And they do it in a way where they're, they're able to convincingly have Eddie go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Brock using his wrestling ability, his aerial stuff to throw him off balance. There's Goldberg fearance to build to Brock Goldberg as payback for Brock eliminating Goldberg from the Royal Rumble, coming in illegally, or causing him to be eliminated, I should say, by Kurt Angle. But they have a really compelling back-and-forth match that builds, and Eddie wins with the frog splash in the middle of the ring. Clean or not, he won and jumps into the crowd and celebrates. It's such a great moment in time mm -hmm. that you see this guy who's overcome so much beat the, the beast of all beasts and become the world heavyweight champion. Um, he's not yet doing the thing where he slips out of his boot, right? That ha He has to start a feud with Kurt Angle for that to happen. Yes. Okay. 
The other, speaking of which, Kurt Angle defeats John Cena in the big show to uh, in a triple threat to become the number one contender at WrestleMania 20. Um, that's about it. <laughs> Everything else is just meh. Although, if you want to watch a good match, watch Ray and Chavo from the same show. It's excellent. All right, and that brings us to WrestleMania 20, where it all begins again in Madison Square Garden. And I want to say this is, they'll do one more year in basketball arenas uh, slash hockey arenas, and then that's it. Every WrestleMania, I think, from here on in is in a football stadium or the Performance Center. <laughs> yeah, this is the last uh, non-stadium WrestleMania when Vince sees what he can do in terms of... No, the next yeah. one... The, the next or, one's or, the last one. Next oh, one's at the right. Staples Center. Staple. Is it Staples Center? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. In 21's at the state. Yes. They rep- when WrestleMania goes Hollywood. This yeah. is one of the most hilarious promos you're ever going to see. Uh, <laughs> so the la- so 21 is at the basketball arena, the Staples Center in Los Angeles. But then from 22 on, we're back at football stadiums again. Right. And outside of the uh, the pandemic year, um, every, every single year they're in, they're, they've been at some sort of stadium somewhere. All right, WrestleMania 20 kicks off with John Cena <coughs> defeating the Big Show for the U.S. Championship. And as you pointed out uh, at the beginning of the show, Pat, John Cena has now been doing the Doctor of Thugonomics thing for about a year. And I'll tell you, when he would come to the ring and they would be a, and they'd drop a beat behind him, and he was freestyling, it was a lot of fun to listen to. Him basically doing a rhythmic rhyming promo in the ring didn't really do it for me. It lost some of its appeal. He was allowed mm-hmm. to be a little bit edgier when he first got to do it. And right. then, you know, when the crowd really started taking to him, it was, well, we got to turn this guy babyface because the people love him. So here's yeah. what we do. And that really culminated after his feud with Eddie Guerrero. Um, he, they decided, okay, we think he's reached his zenith as a heel and we need to capitalize on the popularity. So they had him shift to, you know, a babyface role. Still doing the the pre-match raps and stuff, which was great, but it, it lost a little bit of an edge to it, so it wasn't as fun. It was a little more sanitized. Yeah. Um, and it lost a little bit, but he was – it was very clear this was a guy on the way up, and he was starting that ascent here. John Cena is deceptively strong over the course, especially in <laughs> At his... this point in time, yes. Later on, no, we know how yeah. strong this guy is. Yeah, um... Yeah, when you first see him, in terms of just large musculature, he's you know he was no bigger than any one of the natural born thrillers, and they were good body guys. No, I'm not saying they're not, but like when you think about what he's going to do to the Big Show in this match, it's not easy to get the Big Show up, and the Big Show doesn't really get up for people. He's just like, I'm just going to lay here like a sack of shit. Lots of luck, and and there's John Cena, who's able to give him the attitude adjustment. You know, the um, at the time you know, the still fight- called the FU. Yeah, the, uh, the fireman's carry into the slam. And that's not easy with a guy. I mean, because you're not just talking about the weight. Like, he's, he's essentially he's doing seven it. seven feet long. Right. So, and and again, you're, you're, part of your body is going to weigh more than the other. It's, you know, it's going to be Not awkward. evenly proportioned, as you're pointing out. Right. So, you not only have to squat thrust 500 pounds, but you have to do, you have to squat thrust 500 pounds seesaw. You know, and then you have to. You have to, as someone who squats, and at one point Mm -hmm. in time was squatting very heavy when he was actively powerlifting. Mm -hmm. The idea of an evenly proportioned barbell at a weight of four hundred and five pounds is very difficult to get down into that squat position and get it up and elevated where you're standing. Mm -hmm. Now, on top of that, you're taking that weight and using one hand to right to elevate it from one side, while the other one you're trying to guide it with the other. 
to do that with a barbell is insane. To do it with a human being who is not of even proportions is insanely strong. And that's the right. first real indicator you get of just how strong and capably strong this guy is. Yeah. It, that that is the mon that is the monumental thing about the John Cena Big Show match because it's a fine match for what it is, but what what sells it, what makes it stand out in my mind at WrestleMania 20 and really provides a moment, as Christine would say, is that he's able to get the attitude. And because I think that was also part of the story is will he be able to give him the attitude adjustment? Yeah, and he does. And he and he and the other thing about it is he doesn't really struggle with it. No, you know he goes, a, lot, a gets, lot of guys have slammed the Big Show. You know, there's been a guy or two who's hit a suplex on the big show or Goldberg hitting the jackhammer. One, he's about 50 pounds heavier here than he was then. Mm -hmm. And two, this move requires a lot more of your own functional strength than those do where he can easily support his weight and get up for you and ship. He can't do a standing tumble while he's elevated on your shoulders. It's not possible. We even think of the way Hogan sells the body slam at WrestleMania 3 to Andre the Giant. Where, you know, they're like, oh, and he broke my back. But he sells it that way, too. He's like, oh, my back, as he's doing it. And then he goes for the pin. And John Cena does it like he's lifting you up. You know, yeah. it's just nothing at all. I, I He freakishly, freakishly, deceptively strong. Um, So big ups to John Cena. The next match yeah. is Rob Van Dam and Booker T defeats Garrison Cade and Mark Jindrak, the Dudley Boys, and La Resistance. Uh, featuring Rene Dupre and Rob Conway in a fatal four-way match for the World Tag Team Championships. What did you think of this? Boy, a, a couple of guys in there who you thought had bright future ahead of them and just never <laughs> turned out as such. Jindrak, Cade, who unfortunately passed away at a very young age. Mm-hmm. Rene Dupree, who was the prodigy of prodigies at one point in time. who signed when he was 19 years old and never worked out. And Rob Conway, who was thought of so highly from his time in OVW and just never made it click on, on the big stage. And... Uh, you know, unfortunately, this, this match is going to be reran later in the show with four other teams from SmackDown because it's pretty much the same match each time. You get a couple guys doing a couple spots. Largely, two teams are involved in the match. The champions win with their respective finish. Go home. End of story. It's a way to get more people on the show. But yeah, unfortunately, for the level of performer involved in this, it was very disappointing for me. Uh, Christian defeats Chris Jericho in <laughs> what was largely a soap opera match. The She's this All is, That match. Yes, this is the one where on like a dare, Chris Jericho tries to bed uh, a $1 <laughs> Canadian bet. Yes, he tries to bed Trish Stratus. Trish Stratus finds out about it, and you know, and <clears throat> he is led to believe that him and Trish will be together if they can only get rid of the dastardly Christian who feels that this broad has come between you know him and his best friend Chris. But, yeah, he's James Spader <clears throat> here. <laughs> but <clears throat> unknown to Chris Jericho, because she felt objectified, sexualized, she did. Chris Stratus is like, you can't, you can't bet about me. I am a woman, and I don't. I am a big, strong woman, and I don't need no man. So she plots with the other guy in the bet. <laughs> and <laughs> I guess it was she who had the cruelest intentions of all. Indeed. Uh, and so her and Christian plot against Chris Jericho, and he is hoisted by his own batard, and she gives Chris Christian a big old kiss. This might have been the height of Christian's career at this point, because I think the year before he was doing the tantrum bit. Yes, he was crybaby Christian. But yeah, the, it's, yeah. in his pre-TNA run, this might have been the height of Christian mania. I mean, you know what, though? In all seriousness, this is one of the better matches on this show. Yeah. Arguably the best to me. Um mm-hmm. she, 
it had a fun story leading into it that was very juvenile and soap opera-esque, but it was well done by all three of the main participants in it. You can't tell me that that wasn't highly relatable to 90% of the men watching this match. Oh, come on. How many, you know, especially if you're in high school, which I think they're looking mm-hmm. at most of their demographic at this point in time is probably like high school age guys. Right. Um, you know, how, how many of you guys have been like, oh, yeah, I'm going to hit that. And then you try right. to be the nice guy to the girl. And then, you mm-hmm. know, she finds out and you get made to look like a jerk and you're really apologetic. <laughs> and, you know, right. It, it, it's happened to 90 percent of all men out there. Um, and if you're in the 10 percent that it didn't happen to, you're either a really well-intentioned guy and God bless you or you're just a nerd who wasn't that popular with the ladies. And that's OK, yeah. too, because I probably and- work for you now. And 99% of the men have lost a hot woman to a bad boy after they were the nice guy. That's also very true. So we had a lot of movies in here. We had She's All That. We had The Last American <laughs> yes. Virgin. We had Cruel Intentions. Uh, yep. A lot of good stuff going on. But no, storyline story line aside, it was a way to get these two guys into a match together. And it's one mm-hmm. of the better matches on the show. I think right. it's one of the better WrestleMania matches you'll see for a long period of time when matches didn't have a lot of consistency. Right. And for Trish Stratus' part, I mean, you know, she's a solid wrestler. She's been in a whole bunch of matches up to this point. But it was one of these deals where we're also doing, we're going to do a Playboy evening gown match later in the show. We're still doing a lot of the bra and panty stuff in this era. And it was like, okay, why don't we give her an actual story? And she and she rose to the occasion. You know, like Very there, are some, so. there are sometimes they give these women stuff to do and they can't quite act their way out of a paper bag. But Trish Stratus, I mean. No. Complete, I, I, complete performer at this point yeah. in time. Yeah, no, she, I, I was thinking about like her Hall of Fame and, you know, there's a lot of discussion right now about Charmelle in the Hall of Fame and like, and she, like she did what exactly? But then there's a person like Trish Stratus who was like absolutely earns every single one of those accolades. And you like, yeah. you think about like, oh, she was just the right girl at the right time. But no, 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 no. She did everything right is the issue here. Yeah. I, she came in just as a fitness model, became a manager, did pretty well at that. They started putting her into in-ring situations where very clearly she worked very hard to become a mm-hmm. very polished in-ring performer. Deserved everything she got. Good for you, Trish. All right. Uh, next match is Evolution. Uh, Randy Orton and Ric Flair versus The Rock and Sock Connection. The Rock and Mick Foley. At this point, The Rock is a part-time performer. He's, he's um, not even – I wouldn't even call him part-time because he's been gone essentially before this storyline since Goldberg other than one random appearance. Oh, no, he makes that later. He's been gone since Goldberg. All right. So he's off making movies, but they but he's still loyal to the WWE because without the WWE, he would not have been making movies. So he comes back and does WrestleMania 20, and then we won't see him again for, what, a decade? No, we see him once on Raw mm-hmm. as part of a uh, Diva Search segment. Right. But uh, his next WrestleMania is the one where he's he hosts. the host of the one in yeah. Georgia. The, the last time they, uh, they tried to do a WrestleMania without superstars or part-time performers, and they realized how bad it was. And the next year he does, the next two years, he does matches with John Cena. Yeah. And then we get Brock back and then we're off to the races. And this um, this match is funny for a lot of reasons. I mean, the big build in this is the the Mick Foley Randy Orton drama that's been going mm-hmm. on. You know, yeah, dating back where, to this is where Randy Orton threw Mick Foley down the stairs back in June of two thousand three. Right. So this has been building for a while, and Randy's on the ascent at this point in time. He's the Intercontinental Champion that he won back at uh, Vengeance. So he's on a uh, he's on a tear holding that belt too. Mm-hmm. He's going to hold that for a while and have one of the better modern Intercontinental title reigns of the time and make that belt felt like it means something again. Because it's being used to elevate a guy who you know is going to be a star. And then you have, you know, his partner, his regular physical partner, Batista, at this point in time, who's the, the quiet muscle, the enforcer of mm-hmm. evolution. And his his legendary bag handler, Ric Flair, who 
Foley, by his own admission, is violating his uh, his own word, as he does multiple, multiple times throughout his career in life, by saying he'd never let Ric Flair make a dime off of him by calling him a glorified stuntman. If if Mick Foley hadn't taken a dive off a steel cage, could we still could could we then get away with calling him a piece of shit because he is kind of a piece of shit, like a nice fella, and you know he seems to be uh, charitable, but also not a great personality. I respect the amount of work he does for the Rain uh, Rape sure. and Incest Survivors Network. No I question, it's a great thing he does. But this is the same guy who constantly uh, contradicts himself on Twitter and. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, Grandrew Cuomo is doing such a great job during this pandemic. He's so he's- condescending. Like Mick and- Foley, the guy who the guy who we probably has brain damage, is going to tell the rest of us how we should think and feel. Yeah, and uh, again, uh, he's he's him and Bret Hart on the hypocrite scale are like neck and neck. <laughs> who, who the biggest one of all time is? I don't want to be Terry Funk, and I love Terry Funk, but I don't want to. When I retire, I want it to mean something and stay retired. I'll never let Ric Flair make a dime off of me. Uh, I can't see myself doing this again. I'll kiss Vince's ass, but I won't kiss Vince's ass. Yeah, he's just a, a complete person who I'd never want anybody that I was friends with or related to to ever act like in real life. Yeah, yeah. He, like I said, he's a douchebag. I, I, yeah, maybe piece of shit's too strong. Maybe douchebag's about right because, again, on the one hand, charitable. On the one hand, a genuinely probably nice guy. On the other hand, everything you just said. Moving on. Yeah. Um, but again, this match is noteworthy because it's The Rock's last WrestleMania match and last match for God knows how long. Yeah, um, until he comes back in Miami. Until he comes back in Miami. And it's The Rock and Ric Flair sharing the ring together, which is, mm-hmm. you know, somewhat historic. Foley and Flair, of course, who have a lot of enmity towards each other. Um, and that'll get, you know, resolved with money in about a year and a half. Funny how that works out. Um, <laughs> but again, Flair has never said he'd never work with Foley to his credit and actually punched Foley in the face. So, you know. <laughs> Say what you want to say about Flair, but at least he stood by what he said. All right. Next is the aforementioned Playboy evening gown match, which is just an excuse to put hot women in <sighs> in bronze panties. I mean, it, it worked. So it's bad. fine. It I was mean, it, so bad. Oh, oh, come the, on, the, Stacey Keebler with that with, with the the with the foot choke that she does with her longed leggings, longed leggings. Stacey Keebler is a pound for pound contender for most beautiful woman to ever grace a wrestling ring. Sure. Um, you know, uh, Sable was the it girl as soon as Sonny fizzled out with drug problems. Right. And I remember that uh, at this point in time, there was a question of whether the match would happen because Sable apparently had popped an implant. Uh, <laughs> that was one of the big stories going around in the newsletters, I remember. Tori Wilson was really getting pushed to SmackDown's it girl at the time. Um, you know, they had done the Playboy pictorial with her and, and Sable as former cover girls doing a joint pictorial. And Jackie Gata, uh, unfortunately, never quite really made it. Um, she married Charlie Haas for a point in time. They're now divorced. Uh, she does not look great now. She looks like she's had a rough go of it, mm-hmm. uh, as has Charlie. But at least Charlie seems to be in a good place uh, from every interview he's done lately. Um, but, yeah, Jackie never realized potential. This is a pretty terrible match. Um, they don't I mean- ask them. Again, it's it, it. They weren't supposed. This wasn't, you know, Chris Benoit, Kurt Angle, Chris Jericho. This I'll say the, this: I think it was better than the Miller Lite Catfight Girl segment from the year prior. Again, when the object is to give you a handful of minutes of tits and ass, as much as they can get away with in a family show, where they're going to try to bury somebody alive, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and be overly critical of the tits and ass they showed. No, it was par for the course with the product, yeah. and I get that, but it doesn't mean it didn't suck. It did. It sucked out loud. I was there for the tits, pal, and the tits, <laughs> and the tits were on. 
Um, so I'm gonna give it two thumbs up. Uh, moving on. Um, Tor- uh, Shava Guerrero in the Cruiserweight Open. That's what this was. The Cruiserweight uh, Open for the WWE Cruiserweight Championship. Shava Guerrero defeated Akio, Billy Kidman, Funaki, Jamie Noble, and Nunzio. I forgot he was in the company, Nunzio. Um, Rey Mysterio, Shannon Moore, Tajiri, and Ultimo Dragon. Rey Mysterio, a few years later, heavyweight champion and, and headlining WrestleMania. Here, Cruiserweight Open. I mean, the only thing notable about this that everybody remembers is Ultimo Dragon tripping on his cape as he made his entrance into the <laughs> the ring, which has now, I guess, been edited off the DVD and network versions. To Yeah, I didn't uh, notice it when I watched it. Yeah, um, but I remember that happening live, and I was just like, oh, no. <laughs> I, I love Ultimo Dragon. I was a huge mm. fan, still am. But this is a time where, like, I get they're trying to get as many people on the card for a WrestleMania payday as possible. Right. This entire time could have been devoted to a good one-on-one or even a triple threat cruiserweight match. Say you right. put in, you know, Chavo as a champion, Ray, and involve Ultimo Dragon, you know, whose mm-hmm. dream it was to always wrestle at Madison Square Garden, or even just a one-on-one between maybe just Chavo and Dragon at that point. Um, you know, do that for 10 minutes. This this quick, uh, you know, guy gets eliminated in a minute, 30 seconds, 30 seconds, 10 seconds. It, it doesn't do anybody any favors. No. And the booking didn't essentially make Chavo look strong either with the gauntlet where he came out. You know, it, it, mm-hmm. was, it was a lot of wasted time for guys who didn't get to shine. And that's yeah. what they thought the purpose of this was. And it backfired. Uh, next, we have Too Cool, which is now Rikishi and Scotty Too Hottie, as I believe Brian Christopher has left the company. Uh, with the world's greatest tag team, Shelton Benjamin and Charlie Haas, and the Basham brothers and the APA. So, you really, what is there to say? You've, we've already, oh, I skipped a match. Hang on. Goldberg defeats Brock Lesnar with a uh, with special guest referee, Stone Cold Steve Austin. You know, years later when they do this, it's so much more of a fun match. But I will tell you, this is not a good match, but this is a fun segment. Yeah, I mean, they go into this in with a New York audience who's smart yeah. to the fact that they're both leaving. Right. This and, is an and audience. Here's the thing. They're smart to it, but then there's also like feeling uh insulted. And so and yeah. that New York audience really took up like how dare you? How did we they, we loved you for a year and you're doing this? No, fuck you both. I think they felt more insulted by Brock than they did mm-hmm. by Goldberg. I think the reaction to Goldberg is largely just how he was booked over the past year, right. where they tried to make the entertaining Goldberg happen and it didn't. They mm-hmm. kept him in matches that were way too long and exposed him and had him, you know, a lot of the mystique was gone. And now you got right. Goldberg, who's just a regular guy at this point in time. Not Goldberg WCW era, not Goldberg we'd get, you know, a decade plus later where they right. knew how to book him. They they screwed up and how they booked him and they got a negative audience response because New York is the smart audience, much like a Philadelphia or, you know, a lot of those Northeast strongholds where they right. they know the goings on a little bit more than elsewhere and they know who the real good performers are and react to them a little bit differently. And so you have here, no matter even if this match would have been good, this audience would have still ruined it and shit all over yeah. it. They were yep. not going to win this audience over, no matter what. Here's the Brock that broke out the shooting star press and did it well, and they would have still shit on him for it. Here's the other thing you got to keep in mind. No matter who's wrestling, no matter who it is, if Steve Austin, as we learned over this weekend, if Steve Austin shows up, the entire crowd of SEALs will only focus on him, and anything he does will be great, and everything everybody else does will be terrible, and that'll be the whole segment. And that's what I mean by... Like and Steve Austin knew it. He had to have. He had to have known that that crowd was going to eat out of his hands no matter what he did. 
And I think when, when they all realized that it didn't matter what Goldberg or, or Brock did, I think everyone just sort of leaned into it and just wanted to get out of the match with as little egg on their faces as possible. And that's why they put Steve there. They needed somebody mm. the crowd was not going to hate or shit on or, and respond right. positively to. And if he's not there, God only knows how much worse the reaction would have been. Well, I don't it's, know. I mean, the other, but the other thing is, if he's not there, maybe people tolerate the match a little bit more. I, I'm, I'm betting against that. I'm betting I, heavily against that. Remember, throwing it out there is a possibility, but you're probably right. The New York crowd yeah. over was done with these two people. Yeah, and and it's they don't really. And I'm not saying it's it's a bad match as a whole. Like there's mm-hmm. points to it that there there could have been good points to it, mm-hmm. but. With each guy knowing what kind of response they're getting from the audience right. and and selling it essentially, Brock especially sells it. He lets the audience know, yeah, I'm mm-hmm. on to you and screw you guys too. I don't care. I I want to say both of them were probably phoning it in. Yeah, that yeah. I lost the word, but that that was what I was going for. Yeah. I don't think their heart. That's it. I don't think their hearts were in this. I think no. once they, re- I think very early into it, they realized what this was, and they were like, let's just get through this, brother, and yeah. go our separate ways. One day, love will find you. Um, and sure enough, it does. Yeah, <laughs> years later. Um, but yes, and then Steve Austin, of course. You know, of the two guys, of the two guys wrestling in the match, it's Steve Austin who stands tall at the end because, of course, he does. And got to make the crowd happy. And the only way they were going to do that is if both guys got a little comeuppance from somehow, and they do it with the most beloved icon of the past ten years for that crowd, Steve Austin. And eighteen years it was later, the only way you were going to get a positive response out of that crowd. And eighteen years later, they'll do it again. Um, now, nine basketball shorts instead of you know two guys yes. who look like stars. Uh, now we have two cool, the world's greatest tag team, Bashams and APA. You said it before. I don't think there needs a whole lot repeating here. It's the same match as the other one, so it's fine. Um, Victoria defeats Molly Holly in a hair versus title match, and th- this is great. Like the match itself is fine. Both both Molly Holly and Victoria can work, and they have themselves a fine match. But the best part of this match is the haircut after. And only yeah. because, like, at first Molly Holly tries to get Victoria, and then Victoria puts, you know, fights back and puts her in the seat, and now she's got it strapped in, and oh no, what's going to happen to Molly? And the razor doesn't work. And it's just like... They no matter how many hair versus hair matches you get, right. they never figure out how to work the damn razor. No, they needed Brutus Barber's, like, garden jeers for this shit. You know, they they just need to understand how haircuts work. <laughs> That's all it is. Either they get battery powered clippers that die, or mm. they they can't cut the hair because they've been sweating because they're wet and they've been working, right. or they don't bring a water bottle to wet the hair down where it is malleable and cuttable, and they don't bring scissors where you can just make crazy shapes out of the hair. It's <laughs> it, you know. That's the thing, too. Like, when they did the Jeff Jarrett X-Pac match, they gave him a nice little brush cut. No. Do something embarrassing. Give them the Road Warrior <laughs> Hawk or the Warlord look or, yeah, you know, just something Just say, like fuck you in there or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, or, you know, slut shame them and write slut or whatever. Who cares? <laughs> right. You but, or. You know, God bless Molly for thinking of this as something mm-hmm. to set themselves apart from, you know, your typical just random women's match that's on the show. Right. What, a, what a selfless performer, in all honesty, to be willing to do that yeah. and embrace I, it. Like, Molly Holly is one of those people who, once again, when she was in the Hall of Fame, it was like, yeah, no, no questions asked. Uh, uh, yeah, and and it's a fine match for the you know they don't get mm-hmm. a lot of time. They get like I think it's like five minutes, but each girl is good enough where they can put forth a very capable wrestling match and yeah. they do it. And there haven't been that many of those. You know, we got two triple threats the last two shows. One was I think last year's was very good. Mm-hmm. The year prior to it was okay with Lita Jazz and Trish. The the next year with Victoria Jazz and Trish I thought was better. Um, 
but it, it's a, not a usual thing to have a very good women's match at WrestleMania at this point in time. And they go and have a pretty good match, even though they yeah. didn't get a lot of time. They were two solid workers in an era where solid working women was, you know, a unicorn. Yeah. Um, all right. Eddie finally, finally, finally gets his win over Kurt Angle. And this is now the the infamous bit where the angle leading into this match is him t- untying his boot. Because no. you see, Kurt Angle will try to do an ankle lock and he will be able to slip out of it if his boot is loose, you see. The be- the best part in the build, in all seriousness, is Kurt, mm-hmm. Kurt had been on this quest of trying to get a title shot and a match and whatever. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't win the Royal Rumble on SmackDown. Eddie does by last eliminating him. Kurt's the guest referee next week for Eddie versus Chavo. And he does one of the coolest things for heel turn ever that people don't notice. Kurt had slipped in these contacts mm-hmm. so that when the camera zoomed in on his face, when he stopped counting three for Eddie, you saw these icy blue serial killer eyes. And he just makes this face. It was like, damn, that's cool. <laughs> How did they think of that? I have no idea. It was so cool. And really, it made Kurt look like a killer. Like he was about to just, you know, take a knife to Eddie or something. Mm-hmm. Now, he wrecks him physically and beats the hell out of him, which was cool right. and a great angle. But little stuff like that, man, that was genius. Yes, it was. This is a great match. I mean, it's one probably it's a great match. If everybody says, and I'm going to stop doing the gimmick now. You can if you want to, but. Chris Benoit, who will unfortunately develop brain damage and kill himself and his family, uh, was not yet brain damaged, not at least all the way. And it is said by many people, people who write for 401 Mania and rank such things, that the Shawn Michaels, Triple H, Chris Benoit main event of WrestleMania 20 is like the greatest match in the history of the company, in the history of the WrestleMania. We'll have a conversation about that when we get there. But I'll tell you what, for my money, Eddie Guerrero, Kurt Angle is the best match on this card. I will agree with you. And part of my belief in that is that I always think the best world title matches Mm -hmm. are personal one-on-one grudges. Yeah. I don't like the involvement of a third guy when it's supposed to be this big Mecca historical meeting. Well, also it's years later when we see it in Adam Cole matches, you can tell that triple H and Shawn Michaels lack editing. They don't know when to stop. Yeah. And, and it, and that triple threat that everyone thinks is like the world's greatest thing goes a little crazy i was watching i was watching it sunday with my wife my wife who doesn't like the sight of blood i'm like oh look at sean michaels who's bleeding buckets his entire head is covered in blood yeah uh and again this you know blood blood matters when it's called for this match didn't need it yeah because a lot of this match was predicated on who's the better wrestler Mm -hmm. and about showing eddie showing that i you know unfortunately I've overcome my demons, even though it's too late, and Kurt's going to be battling his for the next decade. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but at this point in time, you have two guys who are really peaking at the top of their game as all-around performers, who are excited to go in there with each other, and it shows because mm-hmm. Kurt, until last year, had basically been shoehorned into Angles last minute for WrestleMania, whereas he had a planned angle to go in here with Eddie. Eddie is the world heavyweight champion, something that people, you know, even as much as two years prior to this, never thought would happen. Right. So why not, while we're on this wave of momentum, let's go out there and give them the best damn show they've ever seen. Think about it. Think about, like, Eddie Guerrero, Booker T, some of the other ethnic wrestlers. They get very ethnic gimmicks. They get very ethnic angles. And it it, it comes across a bit minstrelly at times. And yet Eddie Guerrero and Booker T, two, two prime examples of, are people who, like, you know, unlike Red Rooster... 
really lean into whatever nonsense they were given. And it was like, you couldn't hold them down is the point that I'm trying to make. Like when you think about Eddie and Booker T, they should have never been main event guys in WWE for any number of reasons. But yet when given levels of talent that just broke above, broke above, broke above. Given stupidity, they made it work. Yeah. You know, it is the ultimate polka dots. Like oh, yeah. this is the, there's no way there's no way pairing Eddie Guerrero with China should work and yet it does. There's no way giving him just the worst Mexican stereotypes is gonna work and yet white people yes lie cheat steal we Book, love it. Booker pretending to be British royalty with his <laughs> wife chanting all hail King Booker wow. with his pinky yes. up yes it shouldn't you work know, but it was the most entertaining damn thing on WWE TV at the time. It was funny because we were talking about Selena Vega who won the stupid uh, Queen of the Ring Queen tournament. The Ring. Yeah. And my wife asked me, she's like, when did Selena Vega develop an accent? And I'm like, when she became queen, that's when. Because that because you just get an accent when you become royalty in a tournament. But yeah. the funny part of that is now, uh, I think I think it was just prior to this, they had released the WWE Originals album mm-hmm. uh, with, with musical interludes. And uh, Eddie and Chavo had a, had a rap duet at, about uh, we lie, we steal, we cheat. When we fight, you get beat to like a salsa beat. Mm-hmm. Booker had like a kind of a, a rap song on it where they had him rap over a backing track. Mm-hmm. Do you know where I can still listen to that by chance, Mark? You know, Pat, I happen to know where you can listen to it by Gadfrey. Uh, it is a service that I use very frequently here on the Metal Hammer of Doom on the Rattledge and Broadcasting Network, and that is Amazon Music Unlimited, don't you understand? Very free. Uh, you can get a free 30-day trial of the Amazon Music Unlimited service if you click the link in the description of this podcast at getamazonmusic.com slash W2M Network. Again, that's getamazonmusic.com slash W2M Network for your free 30-day trial. And you can listen to all the great WWE music. Just don't have it playing in the background of your live stream because then you'll get a copyright strike and you won't be able to stream for three months. That's not bitterness talking, anybody. Not at all. And now... On polyamory. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> moving on. Uh, the Undertaker. So anyway, Kurt Angle and Eddie Guerrero. <laughs> a five-star match for me personally. Yes. Yeah. A great finish. Again, the tease of Kurt constantly working over Eddie's ankle. He's going to ensnare mm-hmm. him in the ankle lock. Eddie just with that lie, cheat, steal mantra that endeared him to people and does his boot. Mm-hmm. Angle gets him in the ankle lock one more time and just yanks his boot right off and is incredulous at it. <laughs> And very, car- first- very cartoon, like you could actually see Kurt Angle turn into a donkey. You hear the <laughs> what? <laughs> yes. and, uh, just he charges headfirst at Eddie, mm-hmm. and they, I don't know how they pulled this one off. It's a simple move. It's a small yeah. package, but the way Kurt charges into him and they just flawlessly hook up and roll is one of those unappreciated things if people have never tried to actually wrestle. The smoothness that they both go into that with is insane. Yeah. And on top of that, they do the part where Eddie – Hooks his legs around the bottom rope to sure enough cheat to win and get Kurt counted out. It, it's such a beautiful finish in so many ways. You have Eddie living up the gimmick, a great wrestling move executed. Angle gets to save a little face by being cheated in his match. And, you know, it was it worked on all cylinders. It was great. I, yep. These two guys working together I, I or two guys I'd never get tired of seeing wrestle. This is not a perfect show, but that's a perfect match. Um, in less than seven minutes, the Undertaker once again defeats Kane. Is this the second time they've done this? Because okay, so they do it in 14. 15 is the boss man, he skips 16, 17 is triple H, 18 is Flair, yep. 19 A Train and uh Nathan or uh, A Train and right, Big Show. Right, right. 
And then, okay, so this is the second time he's taken on Kane at WrestleMania. Yeah. And I think they do a third one, don't they, at some point? Uh, I, I, I don't remember that, to be honest. I think, okay. I think in all honesty, if they were going to do this crap with the nonsense and the streak, whatever, they should have done a third one, and he should have put Kane over at a certain point. Because as much enmity as I have towards him, I love Kane to no end. Mm-hmm. And I think Kane at some point deserved that signature WrestleMania win over. They the didn't know they were going to break the streak until many, many years later. And by that point, doing it with Kane was stupid. No, it's never stupid. With you. Oh, okay, well, even if they didn't do the streak ending, at least mm-hmm. at some point have him lose to Kane. They had him lose to Roman when it meant nothing. Right. Well, have him lose to Kane. Kane deserved that at a certain point. He never got it. He got he got a clean pay per view win against him. I think at one of the Extreme Rules or some B show mm-hmm. that doesn't matter and doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, which is unfortunate, but. I will negotiate with you, and I will say they should have had Kane beat the Undertaker at a Survivor Series. Something, something that's still around, something that mattered, not you know, <laughs> B Show in July at, at you know the Mellon Arena or whatever it was. <laughs> you know, like come on, and mm-hmm. and this was just a reintroduction of of Dead Man Taker or yeah. you know, Walker Texas Tate, whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, he still sucks. This match yeah, was not good. No. Kane creatively was in a horrendous rut in his career at this point in time. Mm-hmm. And was probably at his least interesting as a character, I would was, say. Was this when they were where he was the horror monster because he had just done a movie? No, this is pri- a little bit prior to that. Where okay, the past June they had done the thing where he lost his mask mm-hmm. and he had part of his head shaved. Right. Well, okay. Then, what I guess it's the year before, leading into maybe nineteen. Uh, it's 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 on the show that Neil and I talked about it, where they where this is the infamous Katie Vick bit. That was this. This is so Katie Vick had happened, and I believe it was May of 03 around okay. there. And that was the Triple H Kane feud where eventually it led to Triple H unmasking Kane on Raw on right. June 20, 21st. Right. And they tried to make yeah. it look like his face was burned, but maybe he had just had like a really awful Ash Wednesday. It was, yes. <laughs> oh he, he was chimney sweeping and it got a little aggressive. Exactly. And then, you know, so yeah, the, the half horseshoe hair, baldness, <laughs> and the shaved and bald. And then he just meanders for like yeah. the rest of the year, other than a minor main event involvement with Goldberg and Triple H, where he doesn't get any traction. And right. it sucked. This was a bad time for Kane, and it was unfortunate because yeah. he's a really good performer and just stuck in a rut. And then he just is the sacrificial lamb for the reintroduction of. The Undertaker, who sucks, by the way, if you hadn't heard me say that before. All right, and then we we finally come to it. The end of an era. Chris Benoit, the workers' champion, defeats Triple H and Shawn Michaels. It's not a bad match. It's it's really entertaining. It's really bloody. It's just It just so much reminds me of, like, Cole and Gargano and Ciampa and Gargano and Cole and Ciampa, and it's just... Just it never ends, you know. They weren't we weren't doing 106 Canadian destroyers on the floor for two counts just yet. But this is kind of that equivalent where it was just nobody knows when to fucking stop. We had false finishes on submission holds repeatedly. When do you ever see that? <laughs> right. Like, you know, Benoit had the sequence where he had, you know, Triple H in the sharpshooter for a while, and, and we mm. thought that was gonna be the end, and then had him in the the crippler crossface, but no, it's not the end, and then did the same thing with Sean and you know. We get pedigrees and super kicks and, you know, all over. And, again, I'll say this. It irked me to have Sean in the match Mm -hmm. um, only because it very much just felt like a best friend power play to have Sean and Hunter in the match together. Right. When, really, it should have been Benoit versus Hunter. And, you know, Sean being in that match, just getting shoehorned in just because he's Sean Michaels would, you know, Mm -hmm. we, you know, he could have had something on this show that wasn't that. 
was there a been... was there a better guy than Chris Benoit to end the reign of terror? Probably. And I don't say that in hindsight trying to shit on Benoit because mm-hmm. I was a huge Chris Benoit fan. And this meant the world yeah. to me to see him win the world championship. Sure. And he did. And it's forgotten about. But for a period of time from that time where Chris was world champion, ratings did slightly increase. Pay-per-view mm-hmm. buys were slightly better than the year prior. Well, it's interesting you say that because, that because the rumor is that like the reason why they took the belt off Chris and put it on Randy Orton at SummerSlam was because, you know, not since Diesel had they, not, had, they had such low numbers. Which wasn't the case. It, right. But it was more a case of they didn't have anything further for Chris after that. Because who right. had they spent time establishing as a heel? Nobody yeah. really but Randy. And Randy wasn't even established as a main event heel yet. He was established as the Intercontinental Champion who's going to eventually be the guy. Yeah. You know, who did they put Chris in with in main events after this? Well, he wrestles Sean and Triple H again the next month in a triple threat in, in his hometown. Then he wrestles Kane. Again, Kane had been stuck in a creative rut, had already lost to The Undertaker. The best they could do was put him in with Kane. And then he drops the belt to Randy. Right. And that was it for Chris Benoit in the main event because they didn't have a lot of compelling stuff for him after this, you know? Because they honestly. Sean, Triple H, or the one off with Kane. I think they saw an opportunity to make the company look fan friendly. And once it was done, it was like, okay, back to business as usual. Let's get some more monsters in the main event. Because, I mean, think about this. Who are your who are your main event players by the end of WrestleMania 21? Batista and John Cena. Yeah. This like workers revolution <clears throat> that's currently happening. This, you know, we have this really solid mid card that's holding up the whole company and throw, you know, throw and JBL that, into that mix. Right. And JBL is go, is uh, going to ascend. Triple H have... is still around in the main event. <clears throat> yes. Well, I was thinking, I, I mean, we're not gonna talk about it, but I do want to make mention because I, I just really enjoy this era. When you think about that match that Bradshaw is going to have with Eddie Guerrero in the coming months, like there's blood and then there's you're going to try to kill a guy like there's blood in this main event. I'm pretty sure Bradshaw was was okay with killing Eddie Guerrero and Eddie Guerrero was okay with being killed. Eddie legit went into shock because of the blood (laughs) loss in that match. Like he did not mean to gash himself. Graphic. Yeah. Yeah. That's (laughs) you hit a vein, bud. You hit an artery. Yeah. Um, anyway, but, but this this match has blood, like you pointed out, with Sean mm-hmm. opening the gusher on himself. And I think it's just Sean trying to make himself stand out in the match, knowing he wasn't yeah. going to be involved in the finish. Again, him being shoehorned in here, I felt took away from part of it because what was his real involvement? Did he win the Royal Rumble? No. Did right. he do? It? They had him pin Benoit on, I believe it was February fourteenth or thirteenth. One one of those Raws. Um, it's it's a tacit recognition the company doesn't really believe in Chris, but yes, if they don't. Years later, they won't care anymore because Saudi money, Peacock money, Fox money. But we're still in a time where they still somewhat have to listen to the fans. And if, yeah. and, and there's an opportunity here to gain favor with the fans for at least a few more years until they can safely start for not listening to the fans again. Right. But as we ha- if we haven't done Sean to- versus Triple H to death by this point, and we're still going to do yeah. it a couple more times, right? You know, on pay per view, which is insane that to me. Never ending feud. So, and I'm not I'm not knocking Sean as a performer. Mm-hmm. I'm not. Yeah. What I'm saying is, at a certain point, there needs to be recognition and room for somebody else. And I'll right. put just as much blame on Triple H for that as anybody else, because he's mm-hmm. the guy constantly there. Sean just pops in every so often. And he gets shoehorned into this where he doesn't need to be. And the following month where he doesn't need to be. That I didn't understand either. Where again, you have him booked in the match. Why not at that point? Okay, Benoit went over Triple H. You're going to do the match in Canada. Have it Chris Benoit versus Shawn Michaels. You really want to make an apology to Canada? Have Chris make Shawn tap out in the middle of the ring. 
the company, whether it's Pritchard or Vince himself, seem to have just these religious beliefs that don't match reality. But yeah. um, closing out our discussion of WrestleMania 20 and, and really closing out this whole podcast, um, it's not as good as 17, 18, or 19. But it is, I think, memorable because of how it ends, and it does have some solid matches on it. But this also starts to feel like an era of it's another year, another WrestleMania. Um, we're ending with 20 because I don't want to go into the John Cena years. This is where they all start to run together for me. And I can't remember. And especially with the dual main events now, um, like the first yeah. couple of times they do it, it's, it stands out, you know, you have Hogan rock and then you have triple H Jericho. We talked about that. You have the last one that stands out to me is, is John and Shawn Michaels. That that's it. Yeah. The other one yeah, I, together for me. Right. And, and again, but this is and for so long throughout the next 10 years, John Cena, like Hulk Hogan's in every single main event, whether he's in the last match or not is, is up for discussion. You know, and he has. We're, we're not knocking also him the, as a performer, but right. it's just they keep going back to the formula. Right. And this is the one where um, Triple H and Randy Orton tried to kill each other before WrestleMania and then got to WrestleMania and had a hand, you know, a friendly handshake. Like it's just there's a lot of they, there's the year that Edge and the Undertaker have their match and they try to kill everyone in the crowd with fireworks. So <laughs> the missile strike on the crowd in Orlando, my goodness. So look, it's not that there aren't good WrestleManias after this, but I wanted this one. I didn't want to do this with Pat forever. I love my Pat to death. Let's do something else, please. Um, we I think, and I'm going to transition into the next part of the brief, brief discussion this way. This podcast was about the story of WrestleMania. The story of WrestleMania ends with WrestleMania 20. They'll keep doing them, but the story itself is over. They've won. They've won. They've integrated the best of the best in both companies. They've elevated new stars. The old stars are gone. We are in, and we are into like the third age. The hobbits and the elves have left Middle Earth now. We're just, this is the age of man. And you can't write like J.R.R. Tolkien, neither can I, but we can cheat, Mark. And how do we cheat and write our notes? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what we cheat with, uh, my good friend. We cheat with Grammarly, don't you understand? Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. You download Grammarly today. Go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, it's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network to download Grammarly for free. Pat, what have we learned over the course of the year documenting the history of all 20 WrestleManias? It's very era-based. You can mm -hmm. tell the shifts in where their focus is going in terms of how the development between shows happens. You know, you can break it up into like one, two, three being its own era, four through seven kind of being an era, mm -hmm. eight, nine, 10, a struggle for identity, 11, 12, 13, how do we fix the sinking ship? Right. 14, 15, 16, let's ride the height of this wave. 17, the ultimate culmination of the prior era. And then 18, 19, 20, we need to reestablish ourselves again. Yeah. It, it's an it was an interesting thing, an interesting kind of experiment to kind of go through because we really started with, you know, everyone just sort of accepts the rock and wrestling connection. Everyone just accepts Hulk Hogan. But if you go back to that first episode, we really did like a nitty gritty deep dive into what all what were the pieces that needed to be assembled to create the WWE boom period, as Robert Winfrey called it on his podcast. You know, when you think about 
uh, Jimmy Superfly Snooker and Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage and all those people that made up those early years and the near misses that occur. When you when you think about the relationship with NBC and Saturday Night's main event, uh, the relationship with MTV, MTV being in its infancy and it itself looking for an identity and an audience and a way to differentiate itself from the other burgeoning cable channels. There, there's a lot that it, it's the first couple of years of WrestleMania move any of the secure pins and the whole thing collapses. You don't, you know, I, I, I said this on, I think it was either TikTok or Twitter or somewhere. I, I said it that WrestleMania, wrestling, as I said on my TikTok, wrestling peaks at WrestleMania five. It peaks again at WrestleMania 17. It's a long time in between those two WrestleManias where, you know, a little shove here, a little push there, and the whole goddamn thing falls apart. Like, that to me is is the interesting story of how of these WrestleManias is, is how tenuous the success of this company really was. Right pieces, right places, right time. And when they mm-hmm. don't have it, it very clearly demonstrates in the production of the show. Yeah. You know, when you look at those middle years during the steroid trial years, and we talked about that too, that it isn't just the steroid trial. That shit had been going on for a while. It just eventually goes through a trial. But the effects of the federal government looking hard at the WWF at that time, how much it played an effect on that roster and then what they had. I mean, we have WrestleManias where like half of the guys in it just showed up into the company the week before, you know? People from the previous WrestleMania were all gone, and they were like having to scramble and put it together. And that's to me, that's always the biggest standout is how many guys who were on last year's show aren't on the next year, and it's ha- yes. it happens a lot. Right. It starts to get a little bit better from seventeen on. You know, seventeen, yeah. eighteen, nineteen, and twenty. You have a it, it, it. There aren't too many new faces. It's all it's all a reshuffling of the deck. Um. You know, the newest face is Brock Lesnar, and he's on three of these. So. Um, it, it, sorry, two of them, 19 and 20. So, you know, the Goldberg, I think, might be like the old, like the newest face. Um, but my point, John, being, that's about it. Yeah. But I mean, everybody from, from the time that the, that the WWF, and this would be the last thing I say, from the time the WWF beats WCW and buys the company, for, you know, 18, 19, and 20, it's a fairly solid, stable roster. So uh, I think what I've learned from this experience is that and I was talking to somebody about this today. Everyone, you know, like you're into wrestling, you're not into wrestling. Wrestling seems goofy from an outsider perspective. Wrestling had the history of wrestling has such lush, wonderful stories outside of the ring. You know, if you're just like a person who's into like business history, the kinds of things that had to happen behind the scenes to make the moisture happen on television. It, it's phenomenal. It's so in, I could talk about this stuff for hours, you know about just the thing you know things like rick flair coming over and bringing the belt with him and what all that meant things like that aol time warner merger right you know again these things don't happen and we're talking you know we um you know eric bischoff throwing stupid money at people people feeling like they couldn't get ahead in the wwf and deciding fuck it i'll just go work for less dates and more money i don't care anymore think about that (laughs) <laughs> the last five years of wrestling happened because Scott Hall didn't get pushed in the main event in the WWF. Imagine if Vince saw something in him. Imagine he was like, "No, I see what you're saying, Scott. Yeah, let's get you. Let's get you with some main events here." And he never goes. What if Scott Hall never leaves? 
Sting money doesn't happen. No, sting money doesn't happen. All right, Pat. So did you enjoy yourself over the past year doing these? The ones you were I had a fun time revisiting a lot of these. A lot of these were not as fun to revisit, but the discussion <laughs> about why they weren't fun was was something to be had, and I, I enjoyed it thoroughly, and I, I hope you did too, Mark. And I hope everyone who I listened did. either enjoyed it or found something interesting, or just even if you hated it, I hope you still enjoyed something about it. My favorite match in 20 years of WrestleMania is still Uncle Elmer versus Adrian Adonis. God damn it. You couldn't just end <laughs> on a good note. <laughs> Nope, because I'm my me. Wrestle, my favorite WrestleMania match through 20 years is Savage Steamboat to send you all home happy. <laughs> Boo. Savage Steamboat, Brett Austin, Brett Owen. Yeah, okay. Bandwagoner. All right, that's it, folks. That is our uh, Wrestle, our Mania of WrestleMania series. Um, when we were done with the heavyweight boxing series, I did, I, I did an entire Facebook page. I might do one for this too, so everything is all in one place, and maybe I'll start putting our wrestling live streams there as well. We'll see what happens. We'll see how motivated I am. In the meantime, uh, what is Pat doing with uh, the Rattledge and Broad? Pat is going to be here tomorrow, as a matter of fact. Pat will be back tomorrow night at 9 o'clock to review Morbius. Have you seen it yet? I have. And what would you think? Well, I'll let you know tomorrow, but it's not going to be a whole lot. <laughs> My son liked it, but he's eight. He gets to like terrible things. Um, yes, Pat will be back back with us a few times over the course of the next few weeks. He'll be back tomorrow for Morbius. He'll be back Thursday, uh, sorry, yeah, Thursday, April 28th uh, at 10 o'clock for How I Met Your Father, starring Hillary Duff. And the only reason why we're reviewing that is because of Hillary Duff. And then uh, he'll be back in May for the Four Kings of Boxing, Leonard versus Hearns 2. And then uh, we'll be concluding that series June 16th, uh, The Four Kings of Boxing, Chapter 11, Leonard, Dur Leonard Duran 3 and epilogue and then uh, going forward no more long involved series in the history of boxing we are just going to be looking at a particular fight or series of fights uh, in one or two parts at best uh, we've got Barrera Morales trilogy um, a two-part look at the Pacquiao Marquez uh, four series of fights we've got Pernell Whitaker versus Julio Cesar Chavez coming up Diego Corrales versus Jose Luis Castillo. Um, Danny Nardico versus Jake LaMotta. Aaron Pryor versus Alexis Aguelo. So we've got a whole bunch of... The, the History of Boxing podcast is going to start featuring, like I said, on one fight in particular and the history of that fight. So I'm very excited about this. Also, then when Pat cancels on me, it doesn't... You know, I can just shuffle things around just fine. I don't have to be like, oh, God! It's like, I, I got to get this series done. And we can just stop if we need to. So... Ouch! <laughs> What? And another thing about polyamory. No. Um, <laughs> uh, in the meantime, folks, uh, check out the rest of the series. If you've only caught this one, go back a year and you can find all of our episodes right here on W2Mnet.com. Check out our weekend-long coverage of WrestleMania weekend. We started with Ring of Honor, Supercard of Honor, NXT, uh, and WrestleMania's in, uh, day one and day two. At the very least, the audio for all of these things is up. The video is a little helter skelter. So, all right, Pat, that's all for me. Thanks. I'm driving. You got anything else? I do not. Have a good night, everybody. Be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>